Hello, everybody. Hello. And welcome to the Macabre Podcast Universe. Where we exist to prove people wrong when they say sequels are never better than the originals. And here we are. We covered the six Star Wars movies. We took a little break and we covered the Ong Bak movies. Mm-hmm. And now we're back after a long break. Not as long as in real life, but we're covering The Force Awakens, episode seven. Yes. One of the more highly anticipated movies ever made. Yeah. And, and the one that undermines your the whole premise of your podcast. Right. Okay. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, we're going to see. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> So with us today, you just heard him. We have Dr. Dr. Cutter Calloway from <laughs> Fuller Seminary. And uh, he, uh, he requested, jokingly, that I call him Dr. Doctor because he has right. two doctorates. We've, we've never had someone with a doctorate on the show, so we're, we're a little intimidated. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. And, of course, I got a second doctorate purely for the sake of intimidating people. Um, <laughs> it's working. The first, <laughs> the first one in... Uh, <laughs> Uh, religion and cultural studies, and the uh, second one in psychological science. So oh. um, not not clinical. So like I don't do therapy. I find people fascinating, but I don't want to help them. That's how um. I phrase it. So. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> well, and I was excited to ask you on, and I was I was flattered that you were like, yeah, sure, sounds fun, because I heard you on a different podcast. Um, that funny enough, our pastor sent to us and he said, oh, check out this guy. And what I liked was you were talking just about the, you know, where Christianity and art lies. And you talked about the Matrix and uh, I don't remember, I think you were talking about like Gladiator and Braveheart and stuff. And it was just cool because, you know, sometimes... Christians get caught up in only watching Facing the Giants and movies like those. And I'm not interested in watching those. And yeah, so yeah. it was fun to hear that opinion. Yeah, if you want to jump on any of that. Well, I mean, the interesting thing about that is, I think, one, you're right. When they when Christians think about, uh, or maybe religious people in general, yeah, yeah, think about their film going or their media consumption, it there's this there's one level where they're like, here's what I'll admit to watching. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that'll that kind of reduces to things like facing the giants, whatnot. But all this is t- the statistics show that religious people consume and watch the exact same kind of media as the broader populace. Right. So yeah. <laughs> okay. they're watching Star Wars and the MCU. Um, they're watching, you know, all the sort of prestige drama on TV as much, if not more, than anybody else. And so um, part of what I find interesting is, especially in the contemporary world. Um, these are the stories. These are the the myths that sort of undergird society, right? They're the they're yeah. the ways that we talk to each other, the ways we make meaning with each other, um, the 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 ways that we think about narratives, offering some sort of coherence to all the seemingly disconnected portions of our life. Um, and at the end of the day, they serve in a way that in former times, fifty, a hundred, and plus years ago. Uh, religion functioned. And so that's mm-hmm. part of why um, I'm interested in the topic is, is really just going, hey, let's first admit what we're really watching. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then and then talk about those stories that shape our imaginations in ways that um, make us, or not make us, but form the way we think about reality in the world as religious people. Yeah. Man, what a setup. Yeah, I think the episode is over. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
Well, now this this now I am really curious because you know I sent you a list. It had some other series on there as well, and you were like, "Oh, Star Wars." And so I'm curious why you chose it, what your relationship is with Star Wars, and then your relationship with this movie. Sure. Um, well, how far back do I go? Um, I was born in 1979. Um, and so I remember as a kid, I grew up in a religious home that wasn't a huge fan of, of broader sort of movies, culture, et cetera. And, and, and in part, they were specifically concerned, my parents, for example, with the Star Wars franchise because it was seen as this sort of new age spirituality, right? Like mm, the force okay. was some yeah. thing that you should avoid and yeah. don't open yourself up to. Well, that's all fine <laughs> and well, unless you're, you know, eight-year-old cutter walking by a room that you see Empire Strikes Back on <laughs> a TV <laughs> and you go, what is this amazing thing? Um, <laughs> and, and, and like a moth to a flame, you, you know, um, the, these are sort of archetypal stories that, are you know compelling to anybody I mean, this is why it was one of the you know the biggest sort of blockbusters of its time but then also as a kid um who's being told don't go see that of course you're going to go see yeah. that right yeah. so right um part of it was that uh prohibition the don't go and 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 you know give your mind over to these things um but as soon as i did uh i was just i was captivated um yeah. and in many ways my you know I don't admit this in, in every uh, space, but a big part of my own spirituality has been deeply shaped by the, let's say the, the mythology, the metaphysics or whatever of Star Wars. Um, the way it understands our connection to this broader sort of power or force that we're related to, but don't fully understand. Um, and, and it really, I think has, uh, has shaped me in ways that other, let's say, religious resources, churches, teachings, authority figures really haven't. Um, and so all along, I was always sort of drawn to it as a story, um, as the sort of, uh, you know, you could do the Joseph Campbell um, uh, hero's journey, right? Like it's mm -hmm. this really sort of archetypal story that taps into some of the core longings of, of our sort of human condition. Um, but then over time, it then uh, sort of merged into this, uh, I don't know, fanhood, right? Sort of be yeah. becoming a fanboy of the franchise and and finding meaning and connecting with other people who enjoyed the franchise and, and found meaning in it. Um, and uh, then you just sort of look at my life's history. And for example, the woman who is now my wife, uh, the first date we went on was me taking her to the re-release of um, episode four, when they sort of remastered and re-released those in theaters, mm -hmm. I think in like 97, 98, um, that was our first date. So, you wow. know, like we, we, now she doesn't like Star Wars at all. She thinks they're absurd and silly. Um, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't convince her, um, but, but I was okay with that. She's, she's out of my league. So I was like, <laughs> all right, I'm, I'm fine. Um, and, and then, you know, fast forward to, um, uh, the 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 current uh, episodes uh, seven eight nine, and I now am the father of three daughters, mm -hmm. and as I've been rethinking and and some of my own scholarship and sort of religious studies and and music in particular, um, and the way that music functions in Star Wars, and then the way that gender functions in Star Wars, uh, it was 
it was really sort of um, eye-opening and made me rethink the whole series when we get to now Force Awakens and we have uh, a woman, if not multiple women who are mm -hmm. sort of the fulcrums around which everything turns and made me rethink um, everything that had come before in some uh, pretty significant ways that for me as a, as a, as a father of daughters um, was really fun. So they yeah. watched cool. it with yeah. me because of that, I think, because of Ray, because of Leia. Yeah. Um, and I don't think they would have done that if all we had was those first six episodes. Oh, that's interesting. Wow, yeah. that is really interesting. Yeah, that's a that's a different um, frame of of reference to understand the movies by. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's funny. You mentioned that you went on your first date to see the the Star Wars: A New Hope. Yeah. And we have a kind of a similar story. Uh huh. Where, uh, well, we'll have to talk about the first time we saw it in a yeah. second, but the. The second time we saw this movie, it was on my birthday, mm -hmm. and we went and saw it, and then after the movie, I dropped you off with your, and your mom was shopping at Michael's, and I had to <laughs> yeah. drop you off at Michael's, <laughs> Yeah, and uh, pulled over the car, and I confessed my love for you. Yeah. Oh. And then you- The rest is history. The, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? What This came out in 2015, so eight years later. Yeah. Wait, what? Wait, this is A New Hope, or this is no, Force no, Awakens? No, for Force, Force Awakens. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, I didn't clear that up. Uh, yeah, yeah, 2015, so it'll be eight years at the end of this year. That we will have been dating? Uh-huh. That is crazy. <laughs> I didn't know we were together for that long. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> so it's COVID. This, it, COVID yeah, is under all, yeah, all time. It really is. I don't know. <laughs> So this this movie, uh, it kind of I I think for both of us, if I can speak for both oh, of yeah, us, has a, a really a special yeah. place in our hearts. Yeah. Um, but speaking to like the fandom element of it, I remember when they announced Disney bought Star Wars. It was in my more cynical phase, and I was like, "Oh, brother, this is gonna be so dumb." And then when they're like, "J.J. Abrams is gonna direct it." And then it's getting closer, and the trailer I think I watched on repeat, like for several minutes, just over and over. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah, I remember wow. the moments that I saw wow. that trailer. <laughs> I was just yeah. like, this is crazy. I can't wait. Yeah. We get the er earliest showing that we could possibly get. Yeah. We go with friends, and I remember sitting in the front row, well, not the front row, but the row we were sitting at, holding hands with my friends as mm -hmm. the crawl went. Mm -hmm. And then I left the theater, and I was like, I love this. Mm -hmm. And then we saw it again like a week later, and then I saw it again like a month later. Yeah, I think I might have seen it three times as well in theaters. Um, for me, when this movie came out, I was like, "Yeah, I like Star Wars." Yeah, don't I can couldn't tell you the titles, can't tell you the order, but I've always liked Star Wars. It's like growing up, I had Star Wars and I had Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. Yeah, but doing this podcast, it's like now I know Star Wars. Right, is how it feels. Like when we did Harry Potter, you were like, "Now I know Harry Potter." Right. Um. So it watching this movie, I got way more than I have ever just tiny little things that actually made me enjoy it more. And I think like after this movie came out and people were starting to complain about like the whole death start thing. Right. It's just like, let's calm down. Let's just <laughs> cut it some slack. And that's like how I continue to feel about this one. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting cause you know, all the people that boohooed JJ Abrams or Disney and, and everything else. Um, it is. So my wife will watch. J.J. Abrams 
joints, right? She'll watch okay. Star Trek by J.J. Mm-hmm. Abrams. She'll watch Star Wars because he actually makes it enjoyable for yeah. non-fans um, because of who he is and, and his storytelling techniques and some of his um, his directorial decisions. But I go, and maybe we can talk about this. Um, one of the interesting things about whether or not episode seven, how it counts as a sequel, right? So you have the prequels, which are really yeah. sequels. And you go, George Lucas should never have been given <laughs> the reins. Of, <laughs> like, I remember, I remember watching episode two. And going, oh, man. There's the scene where Anakin and uh, Qui-Gon Jinn are like riding an elevator. Yeah. And talking about parliamentary politics. Yeah. For like an hour. Yeah. And I go, <laughs> I'm bored. And, and not only am I bored, because I don't care about parliamentary politics, but now they're on these elevators that all the doors are supposed to be going like super fast and, you know, like yeah. all this stuff. Why is this elevator ride taking an hour? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it explains to me why I believe, no, maybe this is scandalous, but episode two is the worst of all the Star Wars in my mind. Um, yes, but that's what we get, have oh, <laughs> come good, around good. to. So, yes. uh, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't hear that episode of your podcast. But then you get back to, and also I could never get my wife to watch episode. There's no way she'd watch that. Yeah. But yeah. she will watch episode seven with me and she'll yeah. be in. Uh, my daughters yeah. will watch it. And so if the goal is to sort of expand the viewer base and to have a broader community to say, hey, this is a fun, entertaining, sci-fi, you know, Western adventure. Yeah. Um, great. If it's to, to like bore ourselves with talking, um, well, then you can go watch episode two. So um, for all the <laughs> yeah. haters who hate J.J. Abrams, I think he, he succeeded in that in that realm. Yeah. Well, and and I think so. After we watched rewatched the prequels, it, it was the first time in my life because I grew up at the time where I could be tricked into thinking they were good. I was Same. young enough. Uh, so and even th- we've talked about it then that because we recently watched them, recently covered them. Yeah. And even then, us bashing the movies, I was like, I kind of feel like I like them though. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think it's I just, think one and three yeah. are great. Actually. Yeah. 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 It's it's a weird thing. But but I finally had the moment in my heart and my brain where I was like I I understand that that these at least to me are like they have good scenes in them at points but they're not it's not a good story and I finally understood that uh, and so when we're getting ready to watch this it's been a few years since I've watched Force Awakens mm-hmm. and I'm a little like okay I hope I don't have that same experience and I was pretty much just smiling the whole time yeah it was a fun time. Because, you know, at the very end of the day, at the very least, J.J. Abrams knows how to make a movie that looks good and puts the camera in positions that look good and moves it in ways that look fantastic. So yeah. even if it's bad, it's still kind of worth watching. Yeah. yeah. That's what I think anyway. Mm-hmm. But let's and dive into... big screen. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Definitely. I mean... Uh, you know, nowadays just thinking like, well, and I don't actually know where you guys are located. I'm in Southern California. Where are you? Southern Oregon. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, you know, out here, uh, the question of what happens now to movie going, like what, what, what would get us to get out of our living rooms to go watch yeah. a movie? And it's gotta be something like Star Wars. It's gotta be something like Dune. It's gotta be something that yeah. you go, not only is there, it's fun because you have a bunch of people on the opening night. But then it's big visually, it's stunning, um, you know, orally. It's it's sort of like the surround thing. I, I think that's a big um, part of what's so fun about something like Episode Seven or any of the Star Wars franchise. 
But then also maybe what we need to think about in terms of what kind of movies are going to move uh, moviegoers to go to theaters when now everything releases on Disney Plus or whatever uh, simultaneously. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the continuing conversation. Um, but, okay, so like we said, movies directed by J.J. Abrams. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, they had Michael Arndt come in to write this movie, and he did uh, the second Hunger Games, okay. Little Miss Sunshine, and he's worked on a ton of Pixar movies. Oh, okay. Um, but when he was writing it, he says that he kind of needs somewhere between 18 months and two years to really get it and yeah. get it going and write a good script. And Lucasfilm was like, let's bring in some other people. Oh, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> then they bring in Lawrence Kasdan, writer okay. of Empire Strikes Back Return. I remember when I heard that news, I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be insane. Mm-hmm. I had no more doubts at that point. Mm-hmm. And then J.J. Abrams as well. Uh, the cinematography is by Dan Mindell who we talked about on Patreon when we did uh, Zoolander number two. Okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he's done, he works with JJ, so he's done Star Trek and uh, Mission Impossible 3, amongst others. The movie comes out December 18th, 2015, a $306 million budget, and it makes $936 million domestic. Whoa. And then it makes $2 billion worldwide. Successful. So, now I got to unload a lot of George Lucas here, so yeah. bear with me. Um, 2012, George Lucas produces this movie called Red Tails that is about like uh, a black crew in World War II, I think, okay. like an all-black or African-American unit okay. that's like flying around. It totally bombs. Oh. It does not do well at all. So he's in this position where he's like, I have all the money in the world that I need. I'm fine. But these people that I work with, at least according to him, he's like, they, they don't necessarily have that luxury. Mm-hmm. So he starts thinking about retiring, selling it, and then allowing Star Wars to move forward. But at the very start, he is like thinking he's going to do it. That's bold. And... um. So here, here is one of the ideas he talked about, which okay. is kind of crazy. Um, the next, this is a quote from Lucas in 2018. He said this: uh, "The next three Star Wars films were going to get into a microbiotic world, but there's this world of creatures that operate differently than we do. I call them the Wills, and the Wills are the ones who actually control the universe. They feed off the Force." Back in the day, I used to say, ultimately, what this means is we were just cars, vehicles for the wills to travel around in, or vessels for them. And the conduit is the midi-chlorians, everybody's favorite. The midi-chlorians <laughs> are the ones that communicate with the wills. The wills, in a general sense, they are the force, but it's also symbiotic relationships. I think, personally, one of the core values we should have in the world, and kids should be taught, is ecology to understand that we are all connected. <laughs> That's interesting. I don't know how that could have worked at all. <laughs> it, it just, it, it's like the first thing I think of when I hear something like that is, so is all of the other stuff not important? Is, is how it feels? If, if it's yeah, like controlled right. by something bigger? <laughs> yeah. But it's man. Sort of, it's kind of like um, 
what people, well, there's two things. There's the storytelling thing where you go show, don't tell. Yeah. And part of this would be my critique of when Lucas is too involved in the story elements is, you know, all the metachlorines, he's trying to like explain it. Um, yeah. And, and, and <laughs> you know, if we're going to go the J.J. Abrams route, um, for anybody who's a Lost fan, I always found it interesting at the end of Lost, you know, it's very polarizing in terms of whether it worked or not, right? Um, and you have this whole this whole story world based upon fundamentally sort of mystery, right? Yeah. yeah. And there's like smoke monsters and all this other stuff. And, and at the end, people are like, well, he didn't explain the origin of the smoke monster. And I go, what explanation would be satisfying to you? Like, yeah, it's a it's a mysterious yeah. smoke monster. <laughs> what <laughs> you know, do you need like, oh, well, it's it's something like midi chlorians and there's this, you know. Um, and so I <laughs> that's think a part good point. The, yeah, like the, the challenge is um to say, okay, there's I'm trying I'm doing some world building here. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I'm not trying to explain it away. And that's yeah. some of the, the yeah. problems with whether it's like modern science or something else, we go, life seems mysterious and opaque and um, and and interesting, compelling in those reasons. But then you get someone to go, well, it all comes down to sort of the neurons firing in your brain and blah, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden you sort of sap all of that mystery and all that intrigue out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's yeah. the challenge I think with with Lucas, he was trying to, to explain the mechanics too much um, when really what we wanted was myth-making, right? We wanted yeah. this sort of larger uh, right. sort of architecture of, of mythology and, and that's sometimes he skews towards that that uh, mechanical explanation. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, that I mean, the the great example is you know the the Moss Eisley Katina. You walk in there, you look around, you see all these creatures, and for me, I think cool creatures. They all have a story. I don't care what their story is. It's just cool. <laughs> yeah. But then there's another type of person who's like, okay, now I have to find the novel about that character who had one line. Yeah. And part of that is kind of fun, mm-hmm. uh, but but I don't, you know, I think the movie should be somewhat streamlined. Yeah. You know, uh, to that end. Yeah. Well, and to me, it's it's um, it's not so much the streamline. I, that is part of it, because you got, you know, a movie, it's just a couple hours. Um, and then all these other sort of uh, fan fictions and, and other things that you can do are fun places to explore. And, and that's another sort of genius of, Abr- of Abrams is he... He kind of lays Easter eggs and does stuff yeah. to to uh, encourage people to kind of explore those yeah. different realms and stories. Um, but at a at a storytelling level, like when we think about, okay, why do I go to a movie? Mm-hmm. Why do I like Star Wars? Um, it's not because <laughs> it gives me a detailed explanation of of how things work. Um, it's more, it, it provides this sort of overarching narrative of, um, why, what seems to me in life to be sort of, you know, discrete, unrelated events somehow makes sense. Yeah. Like it's, it's more like it makes meaning out of my life as opposed to, I'm going to explain to you the details of how this works mechanically. Um, and sometimes that meaning making happens with like, Ooh, I find this character interesting and I'm going to drill down into his or her story. Yeah. Um, so I'm open to that, but that that's where I'm, I'm like, man, the, it's the, again, parliamentarian politics and other stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't, you know, show, don't tell George show, don't tell. That's, yeah. That's the- yep. Um, yeah. So in, in t- November, so a month before this movie came out, 
uh, George Lucas sat down with Charlie Rose and did an hour-long interview. And um, if anyone who's listening is really into... I mean, it's a very worthwhile interview, although... And I don't know if this is colored by the fact that we found out Charlie Rose is kind of a creep, but he is kind of a terrible interviewer. Um, But it's very interesting, because George Lucas has very interesting answers. Yeah. Um, Despite the bad interview. (laughs) Um, But one thing George Lucas says is he says, if no one is seeing your movies, I don't see the point. I find interesting for what he has said throughout his career. Yeah. Where he's been very much like, I want to make movies that no one wants to see, and I want to do all this stuff, but then... Star Wars definitely changes him. Um, uh, Charlie Rose asks him, you're telling me you know how to make a popular film, but you don't want to do that. And George says, why would I? Because he starts talking about how now he wants to make movies for himself. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't even want to show them to people. Okay, He wants to truly, like, you know, quote, be an artist and, and make things that have no narrative and do whatever. Mm-hmm. and show him to just his friends and stuff. And Charlie Rose like can't get his mind around that. Yeah. And he's like, why would I? I made the biggest thing ever. Yeah. So I don't need to do that anymore. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so he that's also the interview where he, ta- he says something that he later apologized for, which is not the best thing to say, where, you know, he asked him how he felt about the Disney uh, sale, and he said it was like I sold my children to white slavers, mm-hmm. because he views his movies as his kids, and he, you know, he backpedaled. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to defend what he said, but also it wasn't in the moment. Yeah, thing, and he's pretty fresh from it because basically he went to Disney, and well, no, no, uh, who was it? Was it Bob Iger at the time, the CEO of Disney? Can't, I can't remember who was the CEO at the time, but they come to him and they'd hear that he's he's thinking about selling it and he's like, yeah, and he has outlines for the movies. Mm-hmm. And then they basically take those outlines and in an interview, JJ said that Disney told him like right off the bat, like we are not using those outlines. We mm-hmm. You got to throw those away. Oh. And he was under the impression when he made the sale that they were going to make those movies. Oh, wow. Okay. What I find interesting is, you know, there's a school of people that have grown up and uh, grew up with the prequels and now view George Lucas as, like, the perfect version of Star Wars and hate the Disney Star Mm -hmm. Wars. And I do think wherever you land on that, the movie Force Awakens was the only movie that fans would have allowed them to make at the time that it was released. And part of that is, like, yes, it's a repetitive story. You know, we have seen this story, although I think that there's certain unique things about it that make it different than episode four. Um, but there is, I just don't think that any fan of Star Wars at this point in time would have been okay if they were like, yeah, George Lucas like wrote some of the script. Because before this movie came out, everyone was like, we hate that guy. Yeah. He really ruined Star Wars. And now there's kind of this backlash of people who are like, if only George Lucas made those Disney yeah. movies. Pick a lane a little bit, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I the only thing I'll say is that it reflects kind of the ongoing fun conversation between who gets to say or who gets to like determine what's canon, right? Yeah. Is it 
is it the the creators of the art or is it the audience? Is it a conversation between both? Um, and, and the way I view, you know, art more generally is, you know, okay. So George Lucas can say, I, I want to make art that nobody watches or, you know, whatever. Um, I don't believe it. I, I know a lot of artists that will say things like that. And I'm like, mm -hmm. well, I think at, at the end of the day that I actually think audiences or viewers or whoever, depending upon what kind of art form we're talking about, um, actually complete the artwork. Mm -hmm. So if, if a piece of art falls in the forest and no one hears it, um, did it, it I don't think it exists. Like, I mm -hmm. think it's a, an incomplete or, or, you know, dead on arrival kind of a thing. Um, and so it has to, it has to involve now, does the audience, do they get to determine what counts and what's authentic and what's canon? Not entirely. You know, I think it's a conversation between the two. Um, but, but it does sort of reveal right now in contemporary society that we don't really have a, um, a frame of reference for making those decisions. And, uh, so yeah. much of it ends up defaulting to, uh, commerce. So mm -hmm. who has the money, who has access to the purse strings? Um, and ultimately who's, and this, I think is why a Disney would make the decisions they did. How are we going to get people to buy tickets to the, to the movie? Um, yeah. and, and that drives things more so than, you know, what does George Lucas think? What did the fans want? Um, what do they think is authoritative or not? Uh, but, but it does, you know, it is also the case back to, you know, lost in the smoke monster. I think in some cases, there is no answer that would appease everybody. Yeah. You know, I mean, there yeah. would, would be no, ver you know, episode seven that would actually make everybody happy. Um, and so at that point you go, well, it is a entertainment and money-making enterprise. And so <laughs> let's right. enjoy it. Uh, that's mm -hmm. at least my approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I love that view of it. Um, so in, I believe, I think it was in the interview uh, George Lucas also said, it's time for me to move on. They wanted retro. No, no, this is after the movie came out. He said, it's time for me to move on. They wanted retro, and I wanted to do something new. And I, I get his argument. I could see if you're George Lucas, and they kind of remake A New a new Hope, I could see how if I was him, I would be like, well, whatever. I was. I would have told a different, like a new story instead yeah. of the same one with different characters. But... I, yeah. I mean, if it's this like microbiotic world, I mean, <laughs> yeah. as much as I would like to see a microbiotic world, I don't want to see it in Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I should point out that they were trying to get like some some two two leads that were pretty new. Yeah. Um, which turns out being Finn and Ray, mm -hmm. and um, I did. I will admit. I taped an audition tape and I sent it in because I wanted to get it. Hey, don't be embarrassed. I didn't get a Everyone call. Everyone else did. I didn't get a call. Yeah, I'm sorry. They, well, yeah, the movie came out and you were like, didn't get it. Yeah, yeah. When yeah. the movie came out, I knew. <laughs> yeah. But I'm glad I didn't because I look at it and I, I, John Boyega is so great uh <laughs> in this movie. And I'm like, man. Well, you who has no acting experience thought I would have been real bad. Have done that. I would have been real bad. Yeah. <laughs> I would have just buckled seeing Oscar Isaacs, you know, and actually anyone from Star Wars, I'd have been like, I can't handle it, you know. Yeah. Um, and so April 2014, they announced that they are doing new canon uh, and they are not adhering to the expanded universe that had already been, you know, so many novels and stuff, which I have heard people complain about. 
I think that that's an invalid complaint because I think it's smart. Otherwise, we would have known what the story was, and it wouldn't be full of tension knowing what happens. Yeah. Um, and they shot it on film, and there's a huge focus on practicality. Yeah. Because we have this, you know, the prequels take digital filmmaking, they make it a thing, they take special effects, move them forward. Uh, they trip, as we said, they trips and fall so that other movies can run. Mm -hmm. And then this movie says, let's scale that back. Let's use puppets. Except for the one time when it counted, maybe, in the movie. Well, we'll get to that. Um, well, actually, I have it right here. They wanted to do Maz Kanata as a puppet. Yeah, what but happened? JJ was like, they couldn't agree on a design okay. in time, and JJ thought it would be too limiting. With the facial expressions and stuff. Which is crazy because this is a series that has a Yoda that's, puppet. That's, that's the funny thing. I mean, I it's not even that I don't like her design. Uh -huh. It's just, even at the time I saw it, someone who wasn't very well-versed in Star Wars, the first time I saw it, it's like, okay, this is like our Yoda character. It's a small, cute alien thing. Yeah. Just do the exact same thing as a puppet. Right. And I would have been fine. That that But yeah. I know. That's how I felt. But we'll 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 dive into her. I I don't know I don't know what Cutter thinks of Maz Kanata, <laughs> but you might be sensing some tension on our on our end of the of the border here. I don't want to get in the middle of that space. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also wanted to point out that uh, Harrison Ford said that it quote It's not that I wanted Han Solo to die because it's been in my opinion, kind of overreported that Han Solo was like, just kill, or Harrison Ford was like, just kill Han Solo. Like, yeah. I'm tired of playing this guy. But he said, it's not that I wanted Han Solo to die. It was that I wanted to him to have emotional weight. Okay. And that's why in Return of the Jedi, he said, you should kill me because he didn't feel like his character had an emotional weight to carry anymore. So I get the impression that he likes Han Solo and that he's glad he played the character. Yeah. And he's probably glad that he did have a huge emotional payoff in this movie. Yeah. Um, why don't you, I'm almost, I'm actually almost done with my notes, but why don't you hit us with some actors we can talk about? So, um, yeah, Daisy Ridley, who plays Ray, this is a big breakout role for her, of course. Um, and then since then has gone to, gone on to be in things like Murder on the Orient Express, Chaos Walking, Peter Rabbit, Ophelia, and a really weird cameo in The Bubble. I think that she's had a very strange, uh, I guess, filmography since these movies. And it, it, yeah, I just, I just think like we were just talking about this prior to recording, like yeah. murder on the Orient Express, that movie. Yes, it did. Well, we didn't like it. So it's like, I want to see her in something that I will enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and chaos walking is so bad. We watched it as a bad movie for this podcast. <laughs> right. So it's, just, right. Uh, it's a bummer. Um, I, and like I said, I, I think she needs like an FX limited series or or if she wants to swing big, she she, she needs to sign a Marvel or DC contract. Yeah. Because I think she could do either three of those things. Yeah. I really like her, but I... She's so good. But can can she, could she as like an actress and or the audience, would anyone ever accept her in the MCU since she's Rey? I mean, that's, that's a good question. That would be a, a hard, yeah. that'd be a hard shift. I mean... Trying yeah. to think of other MCU characters who... Well, I mean, Oscar Isaacs is Moon Knight now. That's true. That's true. And he, I mean, that's a good point. So he's in Star Wars. He is Moon Knight. All right. So there's one. There's one. Yeah. I, what I, 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 I didn't too, like Moon Knight. What, what, yeah. I, what I think, too, about MCU 
is I like I I'm not super into Marvel comics. I don't know a lot of deep characters or anything, but I like trust their casting enough to know that they would cast her in something that she would be good in. Right. Because they, in, in my opinion, they do a really great yeah. job of that. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean, Oscar Isaacs could be the exception to the rule. Who knows? Yeah, maybe he is the exception. I'm trying to think through, yeah, what, what makes him different. I mean, Poe is uh, a different kind, like he's not, you know, he's not the central, well, he's, he's central in terms of the three characters, but because he's not, you know, strong with the force, yeah. Um, I, I feel like that makes him a, a different kind of character that we go like, oh, okay, he could also be Moon Knight. Um, if it's right. Ray, I, I feel like I'd always be like, oh, that's Ray. That's, well, a, I think <laughs> you know, the hard Ray one, playing yeah. some other character. The hard thing too with Oscar Isaac, I knew him before this movie and I think a yeah, lot of people yeah. did. Well, that so is I, true. I think we're not limited to that. Yeah. But yeah. for Ray, this is her. It's like, it's like Daniel Radcliffe. Well, and, and Emma Watson and Rupert Grant, yeah, Harry Potter yeah. ends and it's like, can they do anything else? Yeah. And it, it's like for Daniel Radcliffe specifically, it's like, yeah, he can. Yeah. Just to focus on one of them. But yeah. that's not true for everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is a good point, though. That is a very good point yeah. about Daisy. And then another breakout, John Boyega, who plays Finn. Um, he's also in Attack the Block, Pacific Rim Uprising, Naked Singularity, Watership Down, and The Circle. I kind of feel like he is in a little bit of a similar boat for me. Yeah. I actually haven't really seen him in anything else besides these movies so it could just be a me thing um but yeah i I think he's so good in this too yeah Mm -hmm. when he was in uh catherine bigelow's uh uh detroit which i did not see oh okay yeah but that feels like a good move if he wants to yeah go for something like that i mean that's so different from star wars that was after this i feel like that was 2017 or 18 maybe yeah so pretty pretty close to after this yeah I could be wrong on that. Yeah. Um, and then Oscar Isaac. Uh, so he, of course, in Ex Machina, Inside Lewin Davis, which was my big Oscar Isaac movie yep. for me. Yep. Um, yep. And then he's also in A Most Violent Year. And then, as we just said, Moon Knight. Oh, man. He's always a treat. Because even, <laughs> I mean, I'm curious what you think, but uh, I, I had mixed feelings on the the last couple episodes of Moon Knight. Um but I, I do not feel like Oscar Isaacs was the problem with anything oh. in the show. Yo, no, no, I agree. I, I watched it because of him, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and the success of the other Disney MCU uh, series. But yeah, I was, I was underwhelmed at the end of this with the story, I think, basically. Yeah. Which is how I felt with a couple of them. Yeah. They just like don't stick the landing for me. Yeah. And I, I mean, it, it is one of the challenges, I'm, I'm assuming. And it, it, same with now where we're at with the star wars universe um if you if you feel like as a writer as a director whatever that you you actually cannot end a story (laughs) like it is a perpetual sort of serialization um it is hard to figure out because you always want another season or another series and so like wrapping it up or even having some sort it doesn't have to like be a nice tidy bow um but i that's my sense of with moon knight like they were just they didn't even try really to say oh, okay this is a completed story yeah. it was more like <laughs> yeah. well until next time and i'm like oh okay yeah. um but that and i i can i i have sympathy for that i don't know it would be really hard to to write mm-hmm. something with trying to end it but without any sense of oh this is actually going to be the end right but, <laughs> but i it is also i don't you didn't mention adam driver yet but 
mm. as I was saying, I was totally off the cuff of like, could I ever see Ray as not Ray? But he too, of course, existed before mm-hmm. and yeah. is in some roles that I love him in. And I have no problem for some reason going like, oh yeah, I can imagine him as not Kylo Ren. Yeah. Um, so I need to I need to think more about why why have I in my own mind typecast Ray as Ray? I think it's because I really love her. Like I really like her yeah. as Ray. And yeah. like yeah. I was saying, of like with my kids and other stuff. Yeah. Um, that's why I might think of her more distinctly as that um, than others. But hmm, I need to think more on that. Yeah. Well, and and I guess you know I guess the analog to talk about would be Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Who. Mm-hmm as all was always princess leia i mean i mean harry met sally a fantastic performance mm-hmm. and she's in other stuff but she kind of finds yeah. more luck like doing script work mm-hmm. and yeah. rewriting scripts and stuff than being on the big screen but do you look at that as because so her being in this movie was the first time she was in a movie in a really long time right uh, oh, Carrie, Carrie yeah, Fisher. yeah on screen yeah but with her doing a lot of punch-ups and rewrites and stuff throughout her career do you think that like, do you, do you view that kind of as like a, she couldn't have done anything else? Or do you think she chose that because she enjoyed doing that more at the end of the day? Maybe a little bit of both. And I, I don't know. know. I haven't like read any biographies or anything, but. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting yeah. though that those original three, um, you know, there's no Kylo Ren parallel, but um, so you have Han, Luke and Leia. And really it's Harrison Ford is the only one who really had significant other characters yeah. besides uh Han Solo and then now translate to this um I think it'll be a similar struggle but it's Oscar Isaac really that has significant other characters um and it could simply be that he had roles before um yeah and that's one of the main yeah. things yeah yeah it's definitely possible and and we do we do have to asterisk uh live action roles because of live course Mark yes, Hamill yes. voice acting extraordinaire yeah but yeah, um, but yes. <laughs> always. Anytime I can bring up the voice acting on Mark Hamill, <laughs> I will. But yeah, speaking of Adam Driver, um, he is also in Marriage Story, which came out after this. But um, also in J. Edgar, Francis Ha, uh, Lincoln, also inside Lewin Davis, Silence, and then he with Marriage Story, he's kind of a Noah Baumbach guy. Yeah, so he's he's in a couple of his movies. Yeah, Drivers. I, when we were watching it last night, you know, like I said, it had been a long time. And the whole movie, I'm just going, man, all these actors are just killing it. Mm-hmm. And it gets to Harrison Ford, and I'm going, man, I just, my heart is just so warm. And then when when Kylo Ren takes off his mask <laughs> and Adam Driver's there, I'm like, it's a whole other level of movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just in a, think in that... In a good or bad way? Oh, in a great way. I, I, I just think that, like, Adam Driver brought a depth to a character in a movie, like, in a movie this big characters often don't have that much depth to them because they have to be a little paint by numbers so people can just latch onto stuff. Mm-hmm. And he is just, his acting is like, he's doing an Oscar performance in a movie that is a bunch of action people running around. Mm-hmm. I just, I think he's a miraculous actor. I love this man. That's great, yeah. <laughs> and he's so good in this. And you haven't even yeah, seen Marriage alone. Story. Yeah, I have not seen Marriage Story still. You gotta get on it. <laughs> I've heard but, amazing things. I haven't seen it either. It's um, so good. I, I, it's it's on purpose though. I I'm like I kind of don't want to watch a marriage dissolve. It so. is. Oh, it is a sad movie. One hundred percent. I mean, that's why it's taken me so yeah, long it's, to it's watch not like, it. And, like, oh, I think I'm in the mood for Marriage Story. No, I don't <laughs> yeah. think anyone's ever said yeah. that. Yeah. 
Um, um, same same thing with Silence, which he's in and, and does oh, yeah. an exceptional job in as well. So definitely so good. Silence is anyone listening who hasn't seen it, you better get on it. But oh. it, it like we just said, you can't really just turn on Silence. <laughs> <laughs> okay, couple more notes here, and then we can dive into the plot here. I just wanted to point out that the island that they're in at the very end is a real monastery, mm-hmm. um, and that's cool. Um, and then there's also, I, I know, at least for me, I was under the impression that these movies were very reactionary, this trilogy, where it's like, J.J. makes one, and then Ryan Johnson's like, I'm going to like twist everything you did on its head, and then J.J. Abrams like tries to save what he wanted to say. At the end, that's kind of how I, I thought he did the it. last one, but he wasn't right. going to originally. No, no, Colin Trevorrow was going to. Wait, okay, yeah, I forgot. We'll about talk that. about yeah, it in a okay. couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> Crazy, but I found that uh, Johnson was with them as they were like he talked to them about stuff. Um, he he asked them to change some of the stuff with Luke that oh. they had planned so that his movie would work better, and he had them change, which is just a good idea. He switched the whole mapping thing to R2 instead of BB-8. So originally, oh, okay. it seems like maybe they had in the script that BB-8 just had the map. Okay. And then he was like, no, bring R2 into this. Yeah. Which is a fun... You'll make everyone cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think at least the connection from Forced Awakens and Last Jedi is maybe more intentional uh, than than at least how a lot of people felt when they walked out of Last Jedi. Yeah. And we're like, what? You yeah. Know? But we're not going to tell you, audience, what we think about Last Jedi. Nope. By the way, I did send in my audition for BB-8, and I didn't get it. <sighs> oh. I know, it was sad. Bummer. <laughs> Finally, in a 2019 memoir, Bob Iger said that George Lucas, quote, couldn't even hide his disappointment towards J.J. Abrams' interpretation. And according to Iger, Lucas said, there's nothing new after seeing the film and that there weren't enough visuals or technical leaps forward. Lucas preferred Ryan Johnson's sequel, The Last Jedi, and the anthology film Rogue One. Okay. Okay. So we can now close the book on George Lucas. Mm -hmm. I guess the audience doesn't see me closing my hands like a book. Uh, We're done with George now. So can I just say something about this movie? After yeah. recently watching the prequels. Yeah. Because uh, the prequels are very out there. They're very just in the minutia of explaining things. And it is refreshing to watch a movie that is just kind of the same. And I think <laughs> yeah. that is something that really works for me. Like, as I've previously said, Star Wars is not like my favorite thing. I like it a lot. But yeah. I don't deep dive into things on this in this franchise. So to see this movie and it's like, yeah, it's the Death Star, but it's in a freaking planet. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. All of it worked for me. Yeah. That's it. Well, if you, I mean, we, we don't have to try to rescue it. I mean, I yeah. I get I get the idea that some people are like, wait, it's kind of the same thing. Or or the, you know, the classic scene where it's like, um, you know, at the end they're they kind of are like, don't worry about any of that. We're just gonna go blow it up, right? Yeah, like, right. yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's a that's a filmmaking technique where um, if you ever have an a, a moment in a in a film or story where where you know the audience is gonna go, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. One of the techniques is to put that critical thought in the mouth of one of the actors and they say it, and then you just move on 
and everyone goes, oh, okay, and they move on. Like this is an actual yeah. way to, to address what we all know is happening. And that is, isn't this the thing we've seen before or yeah. you know heard before? Um, and and but to your point, it it is different actually. And yeah. if we're gonna if we're gonna for a sort of a charitable read, what you could say is this is actually indicative of sort of the well, I'm gonna use a word, uh, ban banality. The uh, how, how boring evil is. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't yes. think <laughs> I don't think evil is that creative. If anything, yeah. it's actually it's derivative off of the good. Yeah, and so it makes a lot of sense that this sort of ultimate embodiment of evil just does the same thing it's always done, just yeah. bigger. They're yeah. like. Literally, well, we, we did a Death Star. Let's just do it bigger, you know? Yeah. Um, turn up to 11. And so on in that way, I, I would think that George Lucas is giving too much credit to the dark side to say it's going to come up with this yeah. elaborate, new, sophisticated plan that, you know, it's super cool. It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Um, it the, the sort of raw power is something that has always existed. And the sort of appeal of that is why Star Wars is so elemental that you get this sort of uh, back and forth between why would you, why would any Jedi give themselves over to the dark side? And it's because at, at the core of who we are, there's something compelling about raw, unadulterated power. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, and the Empire and now the First Order represent that in full. Um, and so, you know, I haven't thought about it till literally this very moment, but that could be a way of going, that's exactly what should have happened um, is just a sort of redundant recapitulation of the same yeah. old, same old, because that's what evil does. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. And and how I feel about, so this movie goes back into like, Jedi are like mythological again. Um, and that, oh yeah, Mike, Mike and I got into the weeds on Jedis and the prequels because <laughs> yeah. the movies got into the weeds. So we had mm -hmm. to go there too. Yeah. And it, it just went into more explaining things and it's really wasn't a fan of it. Cause I, I love when things, as we've been talking about, it's like, we don't really understand it, but what we do know is you can like, it can be good or bad. And yeah. what I also love just in stories in general, something I'm always kind of a sucker for is when our main character is a nobody, we're going to mm -hmm. pretend the last movie doesn't exist, but like the person's a nobody and it could even be them. And yeah. then they have to, this nor this normal person has to choose too. I just always love stuff like that. Oh yeah. That's the, well, and okay. So, so let's dive in. The movie begins. Yeah. You know, we have, we have the opening crawl and I remember sitting there in the theater and because this was star Wars, they did not have to explain to us what the plot of this movie was. And I remember sitting there having watched all the trailers, like was ready to go and reading the crawl and thinking to myself, okay, so that's what this movie's about. I didn't even know what it was about. <laughs> yeah. And like at the beginning when it said like, Luke has disappeared, I'm going, what? Yeah. <laughs> and, and already they had me hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. And after reading three texts that were all about like, the Jedi's are about to take off and keep the peace on this planet where a trade dispute is going on. <laughs> it was like, okay, there's first order, Luke's gone. Yeah. And uh there's a plan that might save the empire. Princess Leia's like in charge Republic. of things. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Great. Then the first line of the movie, Max von Sydow, a legend, hands Oscar Isaac. Isaacs. Uh, I think it's uh, Isaac. Really? 
think. Have I been saying Isaacs for all these years? Just one? Let me Google it. Is it one Isaac <laughs> or more? <laughs> Is he singular or plural there? I think he's a singular. Whoa. I think it's I mean, singular. Oscar Isaac, yeah. Oh, that's... Wow, I'm, I'm ashamed. You probably like first heard his name in a possessive form, like mm -hmm. Oscar Isaac's thing. Oh, this is wonderful. Yeah. He's, he's the same age as me, but he's shorter than me. This is why I've loved him always. <laughs> Glad you according, could figure that out. According to Wikipedia. According yeah. To Wikipedia. yeah, which is always accurate. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, Max von Sydow hands it to Oscar Isaac, and he says something to the effect of this will begin to set things right. Which, of course, is Lucasfilm and everyone who's making this movie is they're saying to you, the fans, they're saying, we're going to make this right. We're going <laughs> to fix this. We're going to make you love this again. Yeah. And he hands him the map, and then he puts it in this, this soccer ball-looking robot. Yeah. That is real. That you real. Fall, fall in love with on first sight. That thing is, they made that. Yeah. And they do have, there was some crazy footage of, you know, a guy in a big old green suit with with it's like puppeteered and he's just running behind it like it's a shopping cart and pushing you know, it around. You know what like, is beautiful <sighs> about Disney? And I thought this like when this movie came out with Disney buying Star Wars is when I saw BBA, I thought, thank goodness Disney owns this because they're gonna make the coolest toy. Oh yeah. Because like when you my, go to Disneyland and see him rolling around, it's like this yes. this is real. My kids, <laughs> I mean, kids don't know like the kind of not just that you can get these things now, but they're actually not ridiculously expensive they don't cost ten thousand yeah. dollars my daughter for her birthday i don't know a few years ago was after just after disneyland's uh uh frontier what's it called the the star wars experience and you go get it and she got you know i think for like a hundred dollars she made her own bb8 and you're making you know you like That's put it crazy. together and it, and it works like it's yeah. a remote controlled bb8 and i'm like what you ah you know yeah I, what i would have given i would have given probably limbs my own yeah. lens at some point, <laughs> something like that, uh, to have my own working BB-8. So, yeah, <sighs> yeah, it's, yeah, I, I'm a, I love BB-8, BB-8. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and then the the first order comes down. Yeah, and there's a nice little attack, and this whole thing, and this is this is JJ at his best. Mm -hmm. We have an entire short film that's going on with little to no dialogue. The stormtroopers come in. We're seeing shots of a particular stormtrooper. Does it? He does like a Dutch angle on the guy, and you're going, you're going. Wait a second, are we about to see a perspective we've never seen in this universe uh -huh. before? Yeah, yeah. I guess this is so much like the the first movie because <laughs> we totally got a stormtrooper perspective. Uh, and and then we see this whole thing play out, where Kylo Ren comes in. He's gonna stop. He's trying to get that map for Luke Skywalker. Stops a beam with the Force. Mm -hmm. I mean, cool. Yeah. Uh, Finn Finn is like scarred by the battle. He gets there's that great shot of the guy who reaches up to him and gets blood all over his helmet. Yeah. And he's reacting and and already, I mean, when I was sitting there, I was like, I think this is gonna work. Yeah. I agree. I'm I'm there with it. Yeah, you have a guy stop a beam with the force. I'm pretty in. <laughs> And do that early. <laughs> I mean, the, the sound design is amazing. Like, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Like, um, and then, yeah, the, the the visual storytelling. And this is what is, is interesting to me of Lucas using uh, special effects and but then getting lost in the weeds sometimes. 
is, I mean, just think about what you need to do to tell an audience or have us figure out and navigate this world where this one stormtrooper is having issues. And of course, it's a bright blood red hand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and so now it that solves so many storytelling problems from then on out because otherwise that's the whole point of a stormtrooper. You're generic, right? Like it's yeah. you, you're indiscernible from anybody else. And now here we have visually very clearly without any words being spoken, boom, here's the guy that you need to worry or that you need to be concerned about. Um, and, and that even, even just that small little detail, I think is, uh, is a really testament to what Abrams brought to the franchise in those opening scenes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then, oh, an, another thing that, that I think the movie freaking nails is when the movie starts, you see Kylo Ren, he's got a voice modulator, mm -hmm. and you think to yourself, you're a little like, come on. The first time you see it, you're going, come on, he's not Vader. Like, I, I get what you're doing, but maybe you should have tried something else. And then when you find out he is literally trying to be Vader, and he's a child who's looking up to yeah. his grandfather and feels inadequate, I'm like, that, that's genius. Yeah. That is a genius story move. Yep. <sighs> I, I don't, yeah, I love Kylo's, it. I mean, he's the highlight of the the trilogy for me. Yeah, I think for me too. Uh, and BB-8. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and I like you, I I, I love Ray. She's so awesome. Yeah. As, as particularly in in this and uh, eight. Mm -hmm. I, I I'm curious where I'm going to lie on nine because I really liked it in theaters, but I'm not sure if I still will. But we'll see. Um. And then. Uh, Kylo Ren can do like a force mind probe. Yeah. And so that's not a thing that's happened that we've seen before that I can't remember. I don't think we have. No. Okay. And I, you know, this, this is my, I'm going to bring back something I said in Phantom Menace, our Phantom Menace episode. This is how I get to like, like you were able to write off in a creative way, them using the Death Star again. This is my midi-chlorian why it works. I view it as much like religions throughout time. People will believe something and then maybe science proves something different, so they adjust. Um, and so I like to view that in that prequel trilogy, they're like, oh yeah, it's totally midi-chlorians. There are these things. They control everything. And then throughout time, it becomes myth. The Jedi die off, and no one cares about midi-chlorians. Who knows if it was even accurate? And then now there's just something about the vibe of these three movies. And I know they're just trying to make it cinematic, but I'm reading way too much into it for fun because I like these movies. Mm -hmm. uh, where the force to me feels like it is so, it's like unnavigated and it's, it's out of control. It feels like you're you feel on like, like the top become, of a volcano like or something. Like it's become out of control? That's how I like to read it. Cool. Because you even have a character in this movie, Ray who by the end of the movie is able to hold her own against someone who has trained with yeah. the force. Yeah. And I don't look at that as like, well, that's dumb. I look at that as no, like the force is, it's like this, uh, it's almost like it's been charging all these years and now it's just like, ah, and she's tapping into that. And that's why it's so strong and why he can force mind probe now and he can stop bullets that are laser beams like that. Hmm. That's how I like to view it for fun. Yeah. It's just a changing religious thing. Yeah. Anyway. Interesting. I, I do think, I mean, I, I, yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it building up. Um, 
and the question of who can uniquely sort of tap into it and what does that mean? Um, what I do love about how they develop it over time anyway is um, to reveal that whether you're of the sort of religious order that taps into the force or the more sort of technical mechanical order, mm -hmm. um, you're both attempting to control and exert your your power over the force, right? Um, mm -hmm. And you then call it good or evil or, you know, oh, you know, ends justify the means, et cetera. And that's actually, I love about this, you know, seven, eight, nine, how they actually um, kind of expose that, the, the, the impoverishment of even the Jedi, that even if yeah. they had good intentions, um, in some ways it was their attempt to control and contain that which is uncontainable. Um, that which yeah. sort of exceeds our ability, and and part of maybe what Ray and Kylo Ren do. Again, I'll, we'll leave this to your to your podcasts when you get to eight and nine. Um, <laughs> is is more maybe what I would say is like submissive, right? So you you mm -hmm. acknowledge its power and submit yourself to it as opposed to coerce it. Now Kylo Ren is trying to coerce it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um but even as his character arc develops, there's some element to that. Like he's even in his mind melding thing, it turns out he's not as in control as he thought, right? Yeah. And 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 that's that interesting interplay between them that develops. But but there's something about Ray that is importantly that she's not trained. It's important that she yeah. is a she yeah. um that she's not from, you know, some lineage that would say, "Oh, you you have been sort of appointed from all eternity to yeah. control the force. Um, and in that sense, I think maybe it's true. Now, if that also tied in with, it's like going crazy that, I mean, that'd be, a, that's a fun, I think that's a fun way to think about it. Um, but I've thought more about it in terms of how are people controlling it or attempting to anyway. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and, and like I said, that that's my own fun thing. I've never heard of someone talk about that. And yeah. I do not think that's an intentional thing. Yeah. It's just, it makes me feel like when I watch episode one, which I will probably never watch again until we have children, uh, when I watch that, I can be like, yeah, he's talking about midi-chlorians. Who cares? They believe that at this time, just like we we did, we believed that we were the center of the universe at one point. Hmm. You know, yeah, then you discover something else. Yeah. Um, you know, I always, I always think the sort of, you know, sci-fi is interesting because it gives you these pictures of what, whenever the, the thing was made, the book, the movie, the whatever, um, it gives you a snapshot of what people thought the future might look yeah. like. Yeah. Um, and so what's interesting is the first, you know, four, five, and six had this certain kind of future vision. Seven, eight, nine, in some ways, um, even though they were before, the technology and the sort of systems they inhabited were more sophisticated or more advanced, yeah. right? They were more, the spaceships and things were shinier, right? Yeah. They were they were smoother. Um, and so there was this sort of, it, this is what I think maybe tracks with what you're saying is, um, we as sort of modern Western people usually think in terms of progress, right? Like mm -hmm. technology always progresses, knowledge always progresses, um, power, I mean, everything always goes up. It's always getting more or better. And in this realm, it's sort of the inverse. If you if you start with episode yeah. one and go through nine, it could be that actually technology, religion, like all of it is actually decreasing. So when you the farther back you go, the more sophisticated they were, the more technological savvy they were, um, the more religiously maybe even aware they were of like explaining midichlorians. Um, and now 
seven, eight, nine, um, all of that has collapsed. And so we've sort of returned yeah. to this um, more elemental kind of uh, relationship with whether it's the force or each other. Um, and that that's fun. I mean, that's a very, that's a more kind of uh, Buddhist sort of cyclical things are always kind of yeah. spinning around. It's not just always modern progress um, yeah. and linear. Um, and so that would be, the question would be what's on the other side of nine, right? Like what happens? Yeah. <laughs> Does the cycle return or is it something altogether different? What I like about that too, is I kind of going into like the submissive and the coercion thing. I feel like with Kylo who was trained and had everything available to him to be in as much control as possible. It, it's like, because of all of the control he put on it, he can't truly harness it. Which is why Ray, who oh, knows yeah. nothing about it, is able to like when he's doing the mind thing on her, it doesn't work. Because it's like I, I don't for her, it's like I don't quite understand what's going on, but I'm gonna surrender myself to it. And then especially in the their big lightsaber fight scene when she's like literally like like becoming one with it. Yeah, yeah. It's like it it's her surrendering to it is like full actualization or a version of that that I like too. Yeah. Whoa. You're both very smart. Um, okay. I'll, <laughs> um, what can I say? <laughs> um, yeah. So then Finn is, he's kind of inspected his blasters inspected. They notice that he didn't fire on the innocence and that he makes the, he's like, I got to get out of here. I can't do this. Yeah. And so he breaks out Oscar so that he has a pilot. Mm -hmm. And then that that begins their fun back and forth that I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. um, and I I can't remember how... Well, no. I, those are future movies. Don't worry, Micah. Um, so then they break out. They break out in the TIE Fighter. Um, and, you know, we're just seeing things that we know and have seen, but in ways that are different and unique. So mm -hmm. something like the TIE Fighter being docked and it taking off and it's stuck to this hose yeah. thing and they have to figure out how to break that off and then and then they fly out is just exciting. Yeah. Um and so then they're flying this tie fighter around and and even the movements just feel I don't know different. Mhm. Mm I mean that's modern technical yeah. stuff of course, but it just feels different and they're flying around and then Oscar saying, we got to go back to Jakku. <sighs> really? Really? And so then they crash land in Jakku. He gets up with that first shot that was in the first trailer where, where it went boom and, he, mm -hmm. and his head pops up. And then he's making his way into the town. And then it's like, that's the end of, of uh, short film one. So, so what do you think about... Finn, who is this character that was raised and programmed to be a stormtrooper and then like defects and is kind of like, I'm going to do my own thing. And sometimes I think so. So his own thing is I'm just going to say myself. Yeah. A, th there are things going on that are bigger than me and I'm just going to try and get out of it. What do, what do you think about a character like that in this world? Uh, I think it's it's so interesting um, yeah. because we've seen. We've seen snarky Han Solo mm -hmm. say, you know, like, ah, I don't, I'm, I'm too good for this. Like, yeah. I, I, I got other stuff to do. If there's money, cool, I'm in. Yeah. But he is just like, he's terrified because he is aware of, you know, their Star Killer weapon, and he, yeah. he knows, 
the potential for danger, and he knows I just got to get out of here. Yeah. And he's deserting his army. Yeah. And so it makes sense to, that he's not like, yeah, cool. Now I want to join another army. Yeah. I've been programmed since birth. I don't know what I'm doing. I just got to get out of here. Yeah. So I love, I love his character. Hmm. But um, it also, it's a more contemporary or modern character, yeah. right? So Han Solo is just a purely self-interested smuggler who's making a decision, right? Mm -hmm. Do I want to do it for the profit or do, do I risk something? For a greater cause. Um, and we know he's a good guy because he ends up saying, yes, I'll, even if it might cost me something, I'll, I'll come in and save the day. But that still is his decision fully yeah. and wholly. Yeah. And you get a Finn character and it's clear he, he has not been given decisions in his life. He doesn't have the yeah. privilege to choose for the most part. Um, and even his choosing is not really his own choosing. And so the, the interesting thing I th I think that it doesn't directly raise, but especially later on when they start talking about how they sort of cultivate or you know got the stormtrooper children and other stuff, mm -hmm. is a a parallel to all those who would say, okay, it's it's not as simple or binary of a decision of do you pick the good the dark side or the you know the, I mean yeah. like what what side do you pick and who are you going to be a hero or a, a villain or you know it's way more complicated. And to, to say, okay, now your stormtrooper who's been conditioned your whole life, who's never given a choice, who was, you know, um, conscripted into military service without your permission or consent now, and, and now knowing what, you know, what will you do? You know, like what, and, and that is a totally different sort of logic and process than simply I'm a smuggler. Do I, you know, yeah. help my friends or not? Yeah. Yeah, so it's a way more complicated character. I, it they it signals, it sort of hints at that, but it, it's not like you know you would have you. I almost have to kind of make it up. <laughs> so it's not yeah. it's not like it's it's right there ready for the um, for anybody that watches it to go. Oh, this is clearly what Finn's character is exploring. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Because there there is it, the the stormtrooper stuff, and and how how they work now. As someone who has not explored a lot of the extra universal stuff, yeah. Um, when I was watching this, I was kind of like, "How is he a stormtrooper?" And then there's a quick conversation that if you blink, you miss, where they, yeah. where Kylo tells uh, Donald Gleason, "Hey, maybe we should get clones," or or one of no, or maybe he says that one of them is saying it, and then the other one's saying, "My all of mine are programmed from birth; they're perfect." Yeah, and it's kind of like I think I caught that on like the third or fourth time I yeah. watched the movie. Um, but again, that's that's kind of like, speaking to what you said earlier, like George Lucas might have made that a half-hour conversation <laughs> around a yeah. table, whereas yeah. JJ and Lawrence Kasdan are like, let's just get it out there. When They'll be confused, but when they watch it again, it is in the movie. Yeah. You yeah. know? At one point, I, I actually didn't write it down, but but there is like the second short film of the movie which is introduced to Ray. Yeah. Now, would you like to take it over a little bit because you have <laughs> such an affinity for Ray? Well, I, I want to say this might, well, maybe this was in one of the first trailers too, or I, I, I didn't go back and watch all the trailers. So if I'm remembering right, um, you know, her being masked, again, there's a lot mm -hmm. of masking and unmasking in the movie um, that we, we meet her on Jakku. She's a sort of scavenger and, um, pretty quickly, we see the sort of landscape that she's scavenging is the carcasses of the, the previous yeah. empire. So 
her whole yeah. life. Um, huh. I hadn't thought about this, but it's kind of <laughs> like, um, <laughs> it's all on the fly. Um, you know, it's, it's post-apocalyptic essentially. So like, right. if, if you're thinking of what would an apocalypse look like at that, but not in the sense that, uh, the, the bad guys won, it's the good guys won. And yet it's still kind of this barren wasteland where you have all these, you know, uh, giant, uh, star destroyers on, on mm-hmm. land. And first it's cool because just the size, the scale of what yeah. she's, you know, scaling yeah. is like amazing. Um, it's sort of overwhelming and she is herself little. Um, and, and I, and, you know, maybe that's sort of prefiguring, like, here's the kind of hill she has to climb. Here's the sort of, um, yeah. the huge amount of, of a hurdle or, you know, journey she has to go on. Um, but then we find out she's a she pretty quickly yeah. on. Um, and you're like, oh, now if you had seen what I can't remember is if the trailers actually told us that early on, if we always knew that. I can't um, remember either. I think that she was popped a up. Yeah. I, I but I was say also on IMDb, like looking at stuff all yeah. the time for <laughs> yeah. this movie. So I don't know. So we go, oh, okay. That's interesting. Um, and immediately you start going like, okay, wait, a desert sort of seems like an orphan. Seems like her family's gone. She's by herself. She's trading. She's bartering, and then she runs into B8, um, very similar to you know r- recalling you know Luke running into his droids of like yeah. kind of a, a seeming coincident coincidence, and yet the droid really is like you know pushy, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and like hey I got a, I got a mission you got to help me out, um, and uh, this is where you know is it the force is it um, coincidence is it both. Um, they, you know, you then get, uh, Finn, uh, coming back or they, them crash landing, right? Is that, yeah. uh, they crash yeah. land. Uh, he thinks Poe's dead. He gets his jacket. Um, and now he is, uh, sort of, um, pretending to be a fighter with the rebellion. Yeah. Um, and convinces, uh, Ray of this and then they're off because she is, she is gripped by these stories of, of the force of um of the rebellion of luke of on solo etc and he sort of leverages that to basically get off of jakku so he can escape. yeah yeah um yeah. and then of course as any sort of let's say love the early sort of romance rom-com um there's both attraction and conflict right yeah. so they both don't like each other but do like each other there's a hidden secret and um mm-hmm. that will be revealed in short time Mm-hmm. is that a good mm-hmm. setup I, I, I'm... yeah yeah that's oh, of great course, then they of course then they escape on the millennium falcon i mean like there's that yeah. part oh too. yeah um, of course so uh then all, it's all these sort of callbacks to our nostalgic past of um mm-hmm. them sort of setting up here's how we're gonna the the mechanics of the film of the plot like how are we going to get han solo and chewie back etc and it's all sort of sequenced in a way that allows us to connect the dots have the little short film it's on jakku we get everything we need to know about um ray uh, and then we have, uh, I don't know if you'd call it the third short film, but we're off into the rest of the, maybe the, the majority yeah. of the plot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and two, two things I want to point out in that, that whole great section is I, I didn't mention him at the beginning because I had forgotten, but of course we have the master John Williams returning to score this yes. movie. Mm-hmm. He's done all of the episodes and I, it really, blew my mind this time around now of course i knew that the score of this movie was great and i like the score of this movie um i think ray's theme in particular is 
a standout and it feels right up there with all the rest of his iconic Star Wars songs. But when we finished the movie, I realized just off the cuff guess, I think probably as much as like 80% of the score is just all new songs. Mm-hmm. And it already feels iconic to me. Um, and it, it just blows my mind because he could have just gone, you know, this is, this is kind of a reboot. Let me just kind of play a bunch of times and write like two other songs. You know, we've all seen rebooty movies where they basically just use the same score, add a little flourish. But John Williams is like, nah, not good enough. (laughs) I got to write the most iconic stuff again. Yeah. It's just crazy. He just can't help himself. That's all. Yeah, he's that good. (laughs) But we um, can... We can get to it when uh, after Han dies, but yeah. there are moments that I think are important where he doesn't, and he actually riffs on yes. the the music that we're familiar with. I think for some real, it'd be I don't actually know the the um, the background of it, but whether or not he or Abrams or who was making the decision as to when they're playing those different sort of light motifs and themes, um, and whether or not they're brand new or whether or not they're the old ones. So yeah, yeah, and. But but what's what's great and I, I unfortunately I can't think of a an example that shows the the poorer side of this, but it just feels like this movie when he does reprise stuff or he, you know, does two out of the three notes of a theme we know or something like that, it feels so intentional and not in any way a cop out of just mm-hmm. I gotta get paid. It's always very much like, okay, you know, she's looking out, let's maybe get close to that Luke. Tatooine Sons binary sunset song, but let's not go all the way. Like, cause we're just hinting at it. We're just showing it a little bit. I mean, yeah. yeah. You, you know, you gotta give it up for John. You yeah. always gotta give it up for John. <laughs> he is the man. So, but oh, and then the second thing I wanted to point out was, and again, I'm comparing this to other movies where they say, hey, let's take let's take this series to a new generation. Because I think if you look at this movie, like after this movie, everyone's like, okay, that's the template. Yeah. And I think it really works for this movie. A lot of the movies that try to copy it, it doesn't work for as much for me. Um, but an example of them, you know, calling back to the previous movie, letting you be nostalgic, but not it's not cheap to me, is the moment where they're running and things are blowing up and they go, hey, let's get in that Astro Speed or whatever, and it blows up, and then Finn goes, what about that one? And she goes, that ship is garbage. It'll do. Mm -hmm. And they run, the camera pans over, and of course they're playing to us, the audience. Mm -hmm. It's the Millennium Falcon. But throughout all the other movies, everyone has always commented on how the Millennium Falcon is just a hunk of junk. Yeah. So it totally works. Yeah. Whereas I've seen, you know, we've all seen other movies that attempt to do this where maybe it is this really cool thing and everyone's always thought it's cool and then they have to like downplay it now so that the audience is like, oh, that's that cool thing. <laughs> but it works in this movie. Yeah, I, I think I think it's like a good level of fan service uh-huh. that I'm fine with. Yeah. Makes me excited. So, and then speaking of fan service... We get Harrison Ford. Yep. Jordan, tell us about Harrison Ford. Well, they they get away. Well, there's this, like the coolest chase in the Millennium Falcon. 
uh, the whole sequence oh, yeah. is so cool. The jet streams on, come on. Yeah, it's come so on. cool. But as we know, it's hard to describe things like that on a podcast. So there's a really cool chase scene. And then <laughs> they they make it out, but they are quickly taken in by some other ship. They think it's the bad guys at first, but it's actually, it, lo- it just feels like a giant warehouse in space. Yeah. And it's it's Han Solo and Chewie. I love this reveal. I think I think it's like for you know it's, it's been decades since we've seen this uh-huh. this kind of thing. You gotta you gotta reintroduce Han and Chewie on the Millennium Falcon is how it feels. Yeah. and they did it, and it just felt great. Yeah, and they and he goes, Chewie, we're home. Mm-hmm. And you know, as fans, I mean, gosh, yeah, you know, little tear to your eye the first time you see it. It's it's pretty moving. Yeah. It's pretty um, good. You know, and and that that I I sometimes people nail that, sometimes they don't. You know, I think I think for the most part on a personal opinion, I think Marvel is very good at doing that sort of thing when they bring in an, a character that we know and love. But um Well, I mean, as we've talked about, the the newest Spider-Man movie is like in in some ways like the most craziest fan service that we've had <laughs> in a Marvel movie. And everyone loved it. In a movie. Yeah. <laughs> Period. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was great. Yeah. It it can work. You yeah. know, saying the word fan service, I think film film critics and, and just people who, you know, really like are, are are maybe a little more adverse to viewing blockbusters as art. You know, fan service is scary. And well, it's not good, but it, it can be done well. Yeah, but it can easily not be done well. Yeah. Like we've we will talk about with in the solo movie of like right. how he gets his name and it's like okay and I was yeah. kind of underwhelming. Right. Yeah. Didn't really care. No, I don't I never wondered why his name was Han Solo. Right. Because we have some characters with the weirdest names. Right. But you know what's funny is uh the week we're recording this, Kathleen Kennedy was talking about Star Wars and she talked about how the reason solo failed is because they recast iconic characters. Okay. And I think everyone pretty like much Like Han Solo? Like Han Solo and Lando what else Calrissian. What are they going to do? Well, I think she's saying like we shouldn't have done that. We should have told a new story. Which Got it, got it, got it. Okay. I don't necessarily disagree with her, okay. but I'm like uh Donald Glover and Alden Ehrenreich are not the problems with Solo. They they yeah. are both fantastic in that movie. The the problem yeah. is the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, although what it's a pretty fun movie, with, I mean, they they recast Obi Wan, and that wasn't the problem, right? You know, I yeah, mean, like that, that. In fact, I mean, even back to uh, Episode One, uh, I mean, I I think talking about iconic, the lightsaber battle between Obi Wan and um, Darth Maul is amazing. Like the yeah. music, the thing, I mean, like all of that. So that, um, I think you're right. It's it, it can't merely be we recast a beloved iconic character. It's it's story. Yeah. It's also kind of sucks when someone says that because you know that that was probably the one thing that they were worried the most about. Therefore, they worked extra hard to make sure that it was good and right. And I like for me, I I do think that they did a good job with the casting. I absolutely. Yeah, that was fine. But yeah. Yeah. I I, and I I like that movie. I don't love that movie, but I. It oh, also this, was like in the top ten box office of the year. It's just they fired their. We'll talk. We're gonna yeah, talk about it's it. It's an interesting one. In a couple of weeks, we'll talk about it. But um, 
then uh, we have the Millennium Falcon. Well, no, it's not the Millennium Falcon fight. They they get out into the bridge, mm-hmm. and true to Han Solo's form, he has swindled some people in the galaxy, and they've caught up to him. And uh, I mean, Harrison's just locked in. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is so locked in on this. It's like he never missed a beat mm-hmm. with Han Solo. Um, and you know, you have the moment where the two clans are saying. You swindled us. We want our money back. And and I, one of my favorite parts is when he says, "You know, when have I never delivered?" And they and they go two times or so, it's yeah, something. Yeah, he says that twice, effect. and then he says, "Well, well the, the second, second time." One. Yeah, you know. And then um, Ray lets out. I think they're called Raftars. Okay. Whatever tentacle monsters. Yeah, it looks like it's out of a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Yeah, <laughs> and those things are cool. Yeah, they're cool. they roll. Yeah. They're scary. There's rolling tentacle monsters. I mean... I'm in. Yeah, it doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> and they're ripping apart the crew, and... Uh, they get away. They get away. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens next? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, do they... Do we go... Do we do some First Order stuff, or do we go to the Maz Kanata planet? Do they cut? I mean, I think that's where they go. But yeah. then, is there another scene in between? I feel like there is. Yeah, um, I I got it now. So for one thing, he does go into light speed from the bay, and it rips apart the creature. Nice touch. Very cool. Yeah. I'm always gonna say thumbs up to that. Yeah. Um, and then meanwhile, uh, Kylo Ren is hearing about the situation, and he's literally having, which I think is very interesting, he is having a temper tantrum. He has yeah. two temper tantrums, like a child. Yeah. In this movie. Where he is supposed to be, uh, like he he is striving to be Darth Vader, where you know he walks onto the ship at the first frame of the first movie, and you just go, "I am scared. This guy's mm-hmm. crazy." And yet he's a little kid, like screaming that he didn't get his candy. Mm-hmm. So good. And Andy I, has yeah. uh, people that don't seem to care, right? Like the yeah. Uh, um the ron weasley character uh (laughs) yeah yeah. but um Uh, it's bill weasley bill weasley sorry (laughs) um you know it clearly is sort of uh a peer and is trying to do a power play but then also this is the other thing that we talk about abrams versus lucas or others is you know after one of those tantrums you know the stormtroopers like oh and they kind of turn around and go backwards (laughs) yeah like that's funny and and that's good. Um, and some of the earlier ones, or when Lucas uh, was is on the on the helm, are just humorless. Like it's so yeah. it takes yeah. itself so seriously. Yeah. And and this sort of reboot, they at least are going. We're we're self conscious about this. We know if some dudes, you know, having a temper tantrum, <laughs> yeah. stormtroopers are going to turn around, and we're okay yeah. showing that. I so I actually really like that part that they're going. Okay, we're not. We're not being so serious that all this has to be, you know, um, you know, complete drama all the time. There's some humor we can inject in it. Yeah. And I think it's a nice added layer of tension, like you said, where like Kylo's doing his thing and then Donald Gleason's doing his thing. And like, yeah. like, is it Snoke? Snoke. Yeah. Like he, he is supreme c- commander and he's telling them both. He's supreme to- leader. Jordan. Okay, whatever. <laughs> but he's like telling them both to do the same thing, but allowing them to do it in different ways. Yeah. It, it, I think that's a it's a nice added tension. Yeah. What what do you it's totally um, what a manipulative uh, dark dark side person would do, right? Yeah, like play yeah. Totally. people against each other. I mean, yeah. that's what he do. Um, what do you think about um, Snoke 
and I got I got to stick just to this film, right? No, um, no, you you can you can skip ahead. We'll stay behind because you won't be there on our other episodes. So, well, I think um, on the whole, my my main critique of the his whole trajectory is that he dies too easily at the end. <laughs> like yeah. the his death comes. I'm like, wait, what? That was it? That's all they had to do? Um, but that's episode eight, I believe. Yeah. Um, and I was so. Um, especially because you go, well, Kylo Ren can barely fend off this young girl who doesn't know the force. And then yeah. all he has to do is chop the guys. I mean, okay. Um, but on the <laughs> whole, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it works for me. I think he, um, was, you know, non-human enough. Um, there's, there's a sense in which I don't know if anybody would care about this, but, uh, CS Lewis has a, an interesting book called The Great Divorce. And a big part of what he sort of imagines in that story are basically you, over time, habituate yourself in ways that you become less and less human. Hmm. Um, like you degrade, your humanness degrades over time when you give yourself into kind of darkness and so self-centeredness, mm-hmm. et cetera. And that's part of what I think about with him and and the dark side in general is that it it invites you into this kind of process of dehumanization um and so i liked him as a character i liked him visually um it it again i it it worked in terms of the larger themes of where they're going wasn't anything like unexpected or out of the ordinary yeah um but but it at least for me i think set the stage well and then um helped set up because if you had let's say made kylo ren the ultimate ultimate baddie um you don't give him any any place to go as a character, right? Yeah. Like you can't, he can't develop or grow or change or anything. So in some ways, Snoke works as the, um, the unchanging or unchangeable background that, that Kylo Ren is sort of responding yeah. to. So, uh, I think that's what I'd make of him, but, but the, the death in episode eight, I was, I just thought, man, eh, that that's a plot hole in my mind, but. <laughs> okay. Well, I will not say I, okay. I, I will keep my lips sealed. Okay. <laughs> I will I will listen to see what you guys say. <laughs> um so after that then uh Han Solo and the crew they land on Mos Kanata's planet. Yeah. And um you know he's having this kind of uh father daughter relationship kind of thing with Rey which is very sweet. Mm-hmm. Um which Kylo will kind of talk about later. Uh I like when they're landing on the planet and she is like totally in awe of it. And yeah. like she has never seen this much green, and Han Solo, he just like his face is of bewilderment and pity in a way. Yeah, of her, and it's like the the Ray character is so interesting because she's only known Jakku, and it's just a desert and it's boring, uh-huh. and she is now on this grand adventure, and she you she is so filled with wonder, but it's it's always like it like hurts me to hear her say like, but I have to get back. And oh, it's I like, know. you know, first time I'm seeing it, it's like, what could be so important? Like, like that could, that could like force you to go back based on what I saw, which didn't seem like anything was holding you there. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I thought that was great. Except your family. No. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think they say that for a while. No, thought, they. Does she think, not say I, I, it's because her parents left and she's waiting for them or does no, that come later? We get that pretty soon actually in this part when she is like travels to find that lightsaber and then we see uh, some uh, of that yes, stuff. That's right. Okay. So that, that's yeah. when it's revealed. So they don't like string us along the whole time. 
but there is like a good portion of it where it's like Han offers her a job and it's like uh, you will you will get to see places you you've never even dreamed and you're turning it down yeah kind of hurts but, th- <laughs> but then you understand right right um and so then they go into the bar and we meet Maz Kanata uh-huh. now I just I will say this time I was the least annoyed by her than I've ever been watching the movie I have never been like like so like annoyed or like mad about this character yeah. i have just always kind of felt disappointed yeah and and i think i think a big part of it was for a movie that they spent so much time to kind of go back to basics on uh the practicality when i and i felt this way about snoke the first time i watched a movie i was like oh i'm kind of like ripped out of this world you just made because that guy looks very fake and everything else you've done a really good job of making it look real. So that was mm. kind of how I felt. And then when I saw Maz, I'm like, oh, we're having a character with like a lot of dialogue and stuff like that. That's that you have to look at. That's fake. Yeah. Um, which is fine. I am not an anti CGI person. Of course. Uh, we just talked about those, those tentacle monster creatures that I love, yeah. but it just kind of rips me out of the moment. And I just think to put it kindly, I think Lupita's vocal performance is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> and I love her. Yeah. This is the only thing I've seen her in Do that I didn't that love. Do you think that she's just not doing anything? I think she is doing something. Yeah, I just don't think working. it's very good. Okay. It's that it's that thing I that happens all the time where I just go, why didn't they just hire a vo- like why didn't they say, "Hey Mark Hamill, why don't you voice this character?" Or I mean, he I guess he's not a girl, so maybe they wanted a a woman to do it. Yeah. Have have someone who that's their job. Yeah. Cause I just don't think it works. Yeah. I, I, and, and, and I also don't like the design. Okay. Uh, I just don't think it's, I just think it's kind of bad for you on any level. Not really. No. Yeah. And I don't like, I also don't like, which this is very nitpicky, but just like the vernacular she uses. Like what? I don't know. Just calling Chewie her boyfriend and stuff like that. Oh. It's just kind of like, yeah. this is like, this feels weirdly modern in a way sure. that i don't know it just sure. all doesn't work well i I, I wonder when they created this character if they were like okay there there is some pressure on us because this is like people are going to view this potentially as our yoda character yeah when she's definitely not she she's so different from yoda but i'm like really simplifying it to tiny little cute alien yeah that that has wisdoms to tell right and so i i i wonder if you know they I mean, I, you did talk a little bit about where they they chose CGI for certain reasons, yeah, because it was gonna to them it was gonna work better, and that just worked for it better for them. For me personally, it doesn't. Yeah. At no. the end of the day, you want you want to rebut us? <laughs> no, I mean I'm kind of agnostic with it. I think um, <laughs> I it it didn't bother. I wasn't like, oh no, this is awful. Um, but it's kind of the least memorable. Uh, yeah, sure. and it and it yeah. seems like it should be a little more memorable, given how significant the stuff that goes on there is. Yeah. So that's I, I'd say. So yeah, I mean, I, I certainly don't disagree with you. It it just wasn't. I wasn't like mad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it was, and and I did enjoy the. So that's the thing. Like I enjoyed the other parts that happened with Ray's, you know, finding the lightsaber, etc. Um, I think at least thinking about my the first time I saw it. Um, that's what stuck with me more than her character per se. But yeah, anytime you, you've got to have a, a character deliver, um, 
um, a sort of empathetic connection with the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, a big part, it's, it's more than just the voice. I mean, it's, it's, the, there's a lot of close-ups. There's a lot of, mm-hmm. um, stuff that you see in the eyes. Mm-hmm. And if you can't do that with CGI, it doesn't matter how amazing the voice actor is. It you just, it, it's hard to do that. So, um, yeah. I think that's part of the challenge. Um, and it's why an action scene with cool CGI monsters works, whereas, yeah these other things of a central character who we're supposed to somehow connect with emotionally might fall a little bit flat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is where a microbiotic world would have worked really well with oh, the wills. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so, and then this, we kind of have the, if, well, maybe not the resolution, but this, this is when Finn is like, I know what you guys are doing. I'm not really with the, the rebel Alliance. I am out of or the resistance. Um, I am out of here. I got to get out of here. Yeah. And Ray and Han are, I mean, Han's kind of like, you know, do what you need to do, kid. He understands. Yeah. But Ray's like, how could you do this? Yeah. And he goes so far as to, he's even talking to people to leave the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the reason he stays is because an attack happens, right? It's yeah. not, he doesn't necessarily make the decision to stay. Um, Independent no. of seeing Ray get taken. No, because I think right? if they would have left in time, he would have been gone. Yeah. Okay. And then we. It have... might have been a little bit interesting to see that, maybe because what we see is they like sh- they have this confrontation. He leaves. He does one look over his shoulder, and then that you know first time seeing it, it's like I guess he's out, even though you really don't think that's going to happen. Right. But we don't <laughs> see him like get in a ship, get buckled in. They're waiting to leave. Oh, look at all those bad guys up in the air. Like, maybe we shouldn't. It's just like he left and then he didn't really leave. Yeah. So it almost like feels like it doesn't, it didn't happen. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Like, I just wonder if for him character wise, it would have been a little bit more beneficial for us to like see a little bit more of a struggle instead, sure. instead of being f- so seemingly forced I, to not do anything. Yeah, I like that. I like that a little But it's not necessarily that something that I was like, crazy bothered by oh no 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 just like a little a little icing on top if you could have it yeah um but yeah so that happens ray has this strange vision with luke's lightsaber from the empire strikes back um which it, it sort of hit me last night i was like oh whoa somebody got that lightsaber from the cloud city and then i i was wanting to I, I I found myself wanting to know that information, uh, but I I do like how you're saying it's like they they show us that we can fill in the blanks. Uh, but I do want to know. But it would bog down the story if they were like, "I got this because there was this friend I had who worked on Bespin, and he, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, or like showing a scene where he retrieves it or something, yeah, uh, or she Maz, um. Yeah, it just that... becomes a clip show like The Last Matrix. <laughs> oh, oh, them's fighting uh, words. We're oh. big Matrix 4 fans. Oh, my goodness. All right. That's an, I'll, I'll have to go back and you covered that, right? We yeah, did, did cover that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll listen to it before. <laughs> I'm a pretty big Matrix fan. So, I, yeah. yeah. I, I understand people's issues. We won't rehash it here because our, our audience has already heard, but uh, it is funny. To your point, there is that. You have to signal or you have to gesture toward what's happened without just giving it to them uh, explicitly. Right, right. Also, I'm not crazy about four. So, Oh, okay. Maybe it's just me then. I I thought, 
Am I just I have a coloring? Lot of, I have a lot of issues with how the movie was made. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I love it. It's not a perfect movie. And I know you're no, not it's saying not it's a perfect, perfect movie. movie. No, no, but no. It's not as good as Matrix 1. I just don't know if I think it's as good as you like think that. it is. <laughs> okay. And time, we've talked about it. We've, time will tell. We've recorded ourselves <laughs> talking about it. It's on the record. <laughs> yeah, it, it's there. So, uh, um, but yeah, then then the first order attacks, and this is also just cool because it's this low uh, area that that these ships are flying around. It just feels like something we haven't really seen in this uh, universe. Prior to them attacking the planet, they like blow up a ton more planets. By the way, oh right, the Star we, Killer we, base. We see the Star Killer base work. Yeah, and it's scary. Yeah, it's brutal. I yeah. Mean. And that's when Donald Gleason does a like very like Hitler Nazi esque mm-hmm. uh, speech, and he yeah. does mention something about senators, which was a red flag. Watching it last night, I was like, "Uh oh!" Or they're paying homage to to George Lucas. <laughs> they're like, "Don't worry, George. We're gonna talk about senators for one line in this movie." <laughs> one thing, just in general. So some of the stuff I've I sort of research and write on is music. So back to your John Williams point, and um, I really think. The way they've intentionally sort of used uh, music and and in Star Wars in general. Uh, so Williams is riffing on um, Richard Wagner's work uh, when he was doing uh, really sort of myth-making kinds of music, and and established what is now the the leitmotif or the theme that we see in film. Now this is you know. Uh, basically a long time ago, prior to filmmaking as a technique or a technology. Um, and there's sort of an open question as to whether film uses thematic music in the way that a, a Richard Wagner would. Um, but I think the closest that it gets is Star Wars and John Williams. And and so it's it can be sort of reduced to like, okay, you hear this song and it's tied directly to this character or these maybe a couple characters, right? So you get mm-hmm. a love theme or whatever. Um, but in true sort of the, the, the sort of operas that you would see, um, that Richard Wagner would write it, it had the really big canvas, you know, hours and hours Mm -hmm. of the sort of musical canvas where the music could develop. Um, and in film, a lot of times it becomes more like a, like a language. Like I'm telling you the audience, here's, here's who just showed up on screen or here's who, you know, is the hero. Here's who is the villain, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that works in Star Wars in a lot of ways. But what's interesting about what happens in this uh, uh, episode seven is specifically related to the Luke and Leia, or I'm sorry, the Han and Leia theme. Mm-hmm. And it it comes in the um, episodes four, five, and six. Anytime you get Han and Leia sort of meeting together, it's, it's I think another uh, name for it is the lover's theme or something. Um, thankfully, it doesn't show up when Luke and Leia kiss. So that's... <laughs> that's <laughs> But it happens in episode seven, we hear it, the same theme um, and a riff on it when we see Luke and Leia first meet um, and they come together and they're talking about Kylo Ren, et cetera. Um, The next, and I believe the only other time is when Ray meets uh, now General uh, or Leia and it's after Han has been killed by Kylo Ren. Oh, and okay. There's this whole sort of like fan um, fury that in this scene, they get back to the Starkiller base. Um, Han has just been killed. Uh, uh, Chewie and Ray have witnessed it. And then they land 
and we see Chewbacca walk right through the screen yeah. as mm-hmm. Leia and Ray see each other, and Leia ignores Chewie, right? Like mm-hmm. it's like what you know, they Leia and Ray have never met. Chewie's a lifelong friend, you know, his Han's close. Surely she would stop and give him a hug. So a lot of fans were in a fury over this. Uh, Abrams apologized and said that was mm-hmm. a bad bad thing. But what we hear in that scene is the Han and Leia music. Mm-hmm. And okay. before, when when this uh, episode or when this um, movie first came out, before eight and nine had been made, I wrote a whole article on the way that music functions in the whole series, and then in this one in particular, and said it's telling us something. Um, and I think what it's telling us, and the something that it's it's riffing on, is um, that maybe this film, these series of films, are actually way more about the women than any of us recognized or even they knew at the time, but has always been the case. Hmm. Um, And that only works retrospectively, right? Like it only works Uh if now we go, okay, now how is this theme working with Leia and Ray? And how does that make us reinterpret the way that it was functioning all along? Oh, Um, and And so it's a fun way. So what I haven't done yet, um, so the the book that that article is in is called, uh, I think the, the Myth Awakens. It's a collection of articles of people talking about basically the fandom of Star Wars and specifically around The Force Awakens. And they've asked us to do a, a new edition now that the other episodes have come out. And mm-hmm. part of what we're asking is, did our original analysis hold up in light of where the story went? Mm-hmm. Um, and so my next task is I need to go rewatch eight and nine and pay attention to where and if this theme comes up and how it's used um, uh, by the different filmmakers, by Williams, uh, in terms of how it helps tell the story. Um, and so anyway, I just find that a really fascinating thing that the yeah. sort of the romance, the love interest, the significance shifts from um, Han and Leia. And after Han dies, it now is attached to this uh, Ray leia theme. And then of course, once, uh, you know, spoiler alert, once Leia dies, then mm. <laughs> things change as well. So right. um, it's just a, an ongoing interest of mine of how the music functions and what it's telling us. And especially once now we're getting so many of these films, um, is there a coherence to it? And that's one of my questions. Does it, does wow, it yeah. to function in that coherent way? I think it probably does, but um, I, I haven't quite uh, determined. So I, maybe I'll come back um, at the very end yeah. of your uh, analysis of episode nine and say, Either it does or doesn't, but people can read, <laughs> read the, uh, the the myth awakens if they want to uh, hear my thoughts on it. Wow, that is that's cool, and I'm going to be listening for that now on our yeah, on our too. next episodes. But um, for our audience, real quick, Cutter has got to take off, but we will finish the rest of the movie. But we would love for you to tell the people where they can find you or what you got going on. Um, well, I got a few things. Um, I, uh, you can find me at cuttercalloway.com. That's cutter with a K, Callaway with a C. Um, and, uh, I have a handful of books on, on film, on television, and it's religious or theological significance. Uh, one book is called watching TV religiously. Another one is called deep focus, which is theology and film in dialogue. Uh, my very first book was called scoring transcendence, which is, the, about the religious significance of music in film. Um, and so that's part of where, you know, um, I tend to go with film analysis is what's what's the music doing? That's why I love Inside Lewin Davis, um, mm-hmm. one of my faves. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so any of those books are of interest. Um, I also have 
Um, I've, I've had a podcast for a while that talked kind of about art and, and religion and culture, um, but I'm actually currently in pre-production for one, and maybe I'll come back to you, that, that hopefully we'll be launching, relaunching this fall that is um, essentially about that, taking sort of what's the um, contemporary or the most you know recent uh, TV show or whatever that people are talking about and watching. And what does that say about people who are um, who identify with the Christian religion specifically in the U.S.? So that's that's me. I think we're going to call it "Watch This." That's the cool. current the the running title. So okay. that's where people can find me. Looking forward to that. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, yeah, and and uh, for you listeners, we're going to have links in the show notes. So if you if you want, you'll be able to just click right to cuttercalloway.com and check all that stuff out. Um. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, you brought you so much. such cool stuff to this episode. This is great. Well, you're you're speaking my love language. Uh, <laughs> yeah. no, not not just film, but uh, Star Wars. So it's, yeah. uh, it was it, it was my pleasure. It was super fun. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Okay, we're back. Yeah, we're back. The Starkiller base has been introduced. It has killed many people, including an alien that has like a beard all the way around his head that looks very cool and makes me quite sad that he died. Yeah. He's a beautiful creature. Yeah. And then um, Kylo catches up to Rey, captures her. Yeah. And <laughs> Finn sees that and he's trying to stop it. And then we see... X-wings come out of the distance. Yeah, and they're they're all this whole sequence. I just think is really cool. Mm -hmm. I I like the set. The action's cool. Yeah, Finn fighting that lightsaber that with the lightsaber. What does that stormtrooper have? I don't know, but it's cool. Yeah, um, and it's kind of crazy because we haven't really seen someone who doesn't turn out to be a Jedi handle a lightsaber. Yeah, and I love uh, that Han Solo uses. Chewie's bowcaster, bow, bowcaster, and he loves it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then finally, the 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 uh, resistance comes flying in, led by Poe. He's alive. Whoa. Um, <laughs> and then there's like a one shot where Poe is like flying around, like getting all these people, and then uh finn goes that's a damn good fighter yeah yeah i love that and it's so nice and cute and triumphant Uh uh-huh and then who lands but princess leia organa herself now Mm -hmm. general leia organa Mm -hmm. and we have the best joke in the movie because we see han and leia looking at each other there's a lot of history we can already tell that a lot has gone on between them that we haven't seen and then they're looking and pops into frame C-3PO who says, hey, Han, you might not recognize me. I have a red arm now. That's probably why you're not recognizing me. And he just totally ruins the moment. Uh-huh. It's a perfect joke. And like I said a long time ago in this episode, it's very earned, very yeah. character driven, makes sense. Yeah. And then we, I think this is when we find out that, uh, he, uh, Kylo Ren is a solo, and and no, we learned that earlier. Oh, we did learn yeah, that earlier. Yeah, because um, someone says like your grandfather, 
Oh, that's and right. And then it's like, and then we see the Darth Vader mask, and I think he says grandfather. So, yeah. And and so now we see this tension. We've seen that they, they've pulled apart from each other. Um, I think we said in previous episodes, we kind of talked about this, how, like, th- sometimes when... The, a new movie comes out in a franchise and it's been years past and sometimes they have to explain why yeah. people aren't together anymore. Sometimes it's because they can na- couldn't get an actor back, blah, blah, blah. Or an actor dies, all that stuff. Um, or not, they both still come yeah. back. Um, this makes so much sense character-wise to me. Yeah, I, and I think, because I, I, I think most of the time it just has this feeling of like, okay, we couldn't get one or we just didn't care to have one there. Or- one what? One of the actors of the oh, two in okay. a couple. Yeah. Um, and this movie just doesn't feel that way because it really, like you said, makes sense for their character. But we also know like like Leia's gonna be in the next one. So yes, she's not super featured in this movie, but we know she will have her due. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, she doesn't get her full due because of her death. Mm-hmm. Um but I think a lot of times in movies it's like, yeah, we just we didn't have time to tell the other person. So mm-hmm. we, if they're divorced, it's easier. Yeah. And this just feels like that was not what motivated it at all. No, I mean, it, it, this is kind of, in a way, it's like, this is probably a textbook move for Han. Yeah. To to move away from this relationship. And then also, like, Leia is dedicated to this cause that didn't really, it, it hasn't gone away. Yeah. It with their last movie and it maybe it, it got to a point. Well, I mean with the whole their kid thing, I'm sure that's when it happened. Like I I can't do this anymore. Nothing matters right. anymore. And then like especially with Luke running off, it's like, well Han's like I'm going to continue to do my Han thing, which is just live for myself. And then Leia's like the only thing I know how to do is to continue to fight the good fight. Yeah. So, yeah, the and they uh, it's just so nuts all the all the their dynamic is really good and like later when she says you know we like they're talking and han says there were some good times right mm-hmm. and she's saying yes and then she goes as, as much as we fought and stuff i i always hated watching you go away mm-hmm. or, or like i hated when you left mm-hmm. you know so they're it's really good it's really good and it's just it, you know, the first time the first time this movie came out, every time a character came in, I was I was completely like surrendered to that moment mm-hmm. every time. And I, I love to we we get a lot of like this is what this is the plan and this is what we need to do section of the movie. Yeah, that I think is fine to just like that happens. Um, we do see R two D two is uh, no longer in service. He kind of yeah. powered down himself when Luke left. But when Han, Chewie, and Finn are gonna go try and get Ray, and he's leaving Leia. And they embrace. I think that's very sweet. And then she yeah. says, bring her son back. It's almost like Han coming back into all of this, something that he didn't intend to do. But right. now it's almost like fate. It's like, well, now you we know what we need to do. Yeah. Like, you know, fate or the force or whatever brought us back together, which means it's time to bring her son home. Yeah. So um, then they, they hatch their plan. Um, and they are going to take down the Starkiller base and they're hoping to save Ren, uh, Ray while they're at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get there. Um, Ray is is already, you know, she's she's locking into the power source of the Force. 
she's able to fight Kylo's mind probe. Yeah. And that scene, that I mean, like I said earlier, that's the scene where I was like, ben, uh, uh, Adam Driver's on a whole other level than everyone else. So here's a question. Yeah. Uh, so he leaves. Yeah. And then she she mind controls Daniel Craig to let her go. Yeah. Um, I this is nothing I've something I've never really thought about too seriously, but it is like, it, is it kind of like confusing that she all of a sudden just tries controlling someone's mind? No. Okay. I don't think so. Okay. I think she's heard the whole adage. Okay. Of of Jedi's doing that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um but that's what happens as she leaves. Yeah. And so she's getting out. And it's kind of you know, kind of like Princess Leia in episode four when they are they're like, Okay, we're here to save you. And, and she's like, Oh no, I've been saving myself. Yeah. And I mean Leia, she she wasn't saving herself yet, uh, but but then then she's like, well, what's your plan? And then she takes control. Yeah. But in this one, it's cool that like when Finn and Han catch up to her, she's like scaling up the walls and she's figuring out her own thing. Mm-hmm. Love it. Mm-hmm. And then we have like the moment, which was, I mean, did you have any ex- expectation or like see this moment coming at of all? Of Han dying? Yeah. No. It It's so nuts. So yeah. Han finally sees Ben. And uh, Ben Kylo Ren, and he takes off his helmet, and they have this moment. And this is how good Adam Driver is at acting. In this moment, the first time I saw it, and and Harrison Ford says, "Hey, like, come back home. You know that this isn't right. We still love you. Come back." And he and he says, "I know what to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it." And then he like holds out the lightsaber and Han says like I'll help you. I will help you. I'm your father, you know. I'll help uh, this this can happen. And Adam Driver is so good that I was kind of I I actually did not know what would happen next. Mm-hmm. I I thought there is a possibility that this movie is going to kind of defy what we know as modern blockbusters to do and he will go with his dad and I don't know where the story will go from there. Mhm. Now that doesn't happen, and I, that's not to say that they should have done that. This moment totally makes sense, and it works, and it's powerful. Mm-hmm. But I—that's how good this scene is written and performed. That I was like, I don't know if he's going to do it or not. Mm-hmm. Like maybe he's a good guy in the next movie. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and so he, you know, lightsabers Han Solo, and Han Solo falls off the cliff and dies, and that's. That's sad, but he did get the moment. So I am glad that George kept him alive in six, despite Harrison Ford thinking that he should have died. So that we could get this moment. Because it's a great moment. And then Chewie, you know, lets out a roar, mm-hmm. which is nice. Mm-hmm. And he shoots uh, uh, Kylo. Mm-hmm. Hip. And then they're making their escape. Meanwhile, uh, resistance people are flying all around. Mm-hmm. And trying to destroy this Death Star thing. Um yeah. But we go to Ray, Finn, and Kylo, like, in the forest. There's a cool fight. Cool fight. Very cool fight. It, it it's just goes back to just J.J. Abrams likes making things look good. He, he just knows. Yeah. Like, I first mean, and foremost, make it look good. And And this is, like, the full extent of lightsabers so far mm-hmm. as far as their look. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, of course, they look awesome in the prequel trilogy as well. Um, 
But there, there is like, it's like there's texture in the so light. I didn't notice this until this viewing that yeah. Kylo's lightsaber like looks angry. That's so crazy. Yeah. yeah. And you're right. Yeah. The other one is like smooth. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, his is like chaotic looking. Yeah. Um, almost like he's trying, like we were saying, or I, I was saying like he's, he has so much control on the force that it's actually about ready. It's going to burst at any moment. Yeah. And, and just the reflections of it's dark. There is snow and the reflections of the light and blue on everything just looks stunning. Yeah. And finally, like the, the planet is blowing up, like, uh, Poe Dameron has succeeded and they've succeeded, um, and they have this big long fight, and then eventually it gets to this moment where Finn is down, and then the lightsaber is off, and the Luke's lightsaber is off, and then Kylo reaches out to get it, and then it starts wobbling, and he's not getting it, and he kind of readjusts his head, like, okay, come on, and then it goes flying past him, and Ray grabs it, mm-hmm. and then they fight for a long time, a good fight. Mm-hmm. Still, I will say, Reigning Supreme is the duel in Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. But this is good. And then she kind of communes with the Force. She's able to best him. But then the planet splits open and tears them apart. Gives him that nasty scar. Yeah. And then basically we go to the end where our 2 wakes up. They find the map to Luke Skywalker. Uh, like Cutter was saying, I guess the theme for, for Han and Leia plays when Ray and Leia meet, mm-hmm. um, which is going to be interesting to track that. And then finally, the movie's like over. And when I first saw it, it's like, okay, so this is the end. Great intro. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, like the song fades out. Her and Chewie are headed on this other planet, and then a new song starts playing, and then it's like montage images as she's looking through this monastery area. Mm-hmm. Walking around, walking around, and it's like, oh, okay, Luke, here we go. And, you know, Luke's my favorite character in the series. It's like, okay, here we go, here we go. And then she gets to the top of this island, and she holds out the lightsaber, and Luke turns around and pulls back his cloak, with his robotic hand in one, and he just looks at her, and then it goes, directed by J.J. Abrams. Mm -hmm. And I I remember when this ended, I was like, can the next movie start immediately? (laughs) Because now we got Luke. Yeah. Luke! And he looks so cool with this big beard, and he he looks looks old. so cool. Oh, man. So... Yeah, as you can tell, maybe you thought we'd come in with some hot take or something. Force Awakens rules. Yeah. Cut it some slack. I mean, I, I really think on, on you know, off the cuff, this is easily number four for me. But maybe number three. I might put it above Return of the Jedi, potentially. Okay. But there's just a couple of, yeah. you know, it's Return of the Jedi. Yeah. But, uh. I love this movie. Yeah, it's great. Um, let me see where we're at on... Well, do you have anything left to say? Uh, no. I am pretty exhausted from talking about it. <laughs> I gave it my all. You really did. So, this is the first Friday of August, Jordan. Wow. 
And uh, that means that two days ago, we covered a movie on our Patreon called The Protector, starring Tony Jaa. So please go to patreon.com slash Micah McCaw and sign up for as little as $3 to listen to that episode and many more bonus episodes, including a watch-along of the Star Wars Holiday Special. But also visit the episode notes and check out Cutter Calloway stuff. Yeah. I'm excited to check out some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a great guest. That was fun. Yeah. Uh, next week, we have, of course, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Oh, I can't wait to rewatch that one. I've only seen it once, and I loved it. Yeah, one time? Okay. And I'm kind of glad, because it'll yeah. be a, fun, a, a really fresh rewatch. The last time I watched it, I ranked it real high in my Star it, Wars. I remember it being really good. And it's got Ben Mendelsohn and Mads Mikkelsen. Well. And it's got Diego Luna. Yeah. Talk about it next week. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Thank you. And may the force be with you. I almost said to infinity and beyond. <laughs> well. That go- too. We did just talk about that a few weeks ago. So. Bye. Bye. <laughs>